When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Honora. It seems like K-pop groups are taking over the world by storm. K-pop is exploding in popularity around the world right now. K-pop. K-pop is short for Korean pop. It became a global phenomenon with size hit Gangnam Style, racking up over 4 billion views on YouTube. It's a package of glitter and profit worth nearly $5 billion with sensations like Blackpink and BTS. You wouldn't have K-pop without K-pop fandom. Hi guys. Hi guys. Dancing in perfect harmony, K-pop groups are breathtaking and they're taking over the world one teenager at a time. They just kind of came out of nowhere and captured our hearts. They love all of us unconditionally. Yo Dias was one of the few British teenagers to experience the life of a K-pop trainee. You see groups like Blackpink, BTS, you know, shiny, big groups like that. And it's just, it's a glamorous life. K-pop is an incredibly powerful and positive cultural movement. Groups like BTS champion LGBTQ rights, mental health issues, and have a loyal following of millions of fans spanning generations, nationalities, religions, and races. And while its end product is something to celebrate, its training methods have come under increased scrutiny the last few years. K-pop would not exist without a huge amount of work, discipline, and sacrifice. Starting from a very young age, and training across a wide range of disciplines, song, dance, but also language, media activity, acting. All these things are part of what it takes to become a K-pop star. Yodia spent years training for the opportunity of a lifetime to become a K-pop star. But when fame was at her fingertips, she walked away to save herself. But I think this fame piece has the potential to be hollow, right? I mean, literally, that's how some celebrities talk about it. I think Conan O'Brien was saying it's, it's like a perfume mist that disintegrates almost as you start to smell it. I'm Sylvester Stallone, and this is The Comeback. My name is Yodias, and I am half Korean and Chinese, and I'm based in the UK. As a child, I really liked acting because uh, I had troubles with expressing my emotions when I was younger. So acting really helped me to be able to understand different emotions through different characters. I remember just acting out scenes from Hannah Montana. It was just something that would come naturally to me just to mimic the um, actions and lines. And that was what got me interested in the whole thing in the first place. I wanted to have, you know, the glam, the fame, the riches, this life of being a superstar. That passion is, it's actually so strong that it got me to defy my own parents. 
When she told me she wanted to become an actress, I was very confused because I am a medical technologist and my daughter has always been interested in the sciences. So it was very shocking to me. My mom really liked me dancing. She she encouraged me to dance a lot and to do all these things. But when I told her that I wanted to be a K-pop star, that was a completely different question. Like she absolutely hated it. I didn't support it. I wanted her to choose a science career as well because that was what she loved and was really good at. Yeah, and I ended up getting into huge arguments with my mom. It caused a lot of tension as well because I was spending days practicing with my friends. Sometimes I skipped school as well. When she was a kid, she was not able to express her feelings very well. So when she's upset, sometimes that will come across as anger as well. When we first talked about this, we had many disagreements. I suggested her to go for her education first, but she wanted to do this. I would see her dancing and practicing, but I didn't say much. In fact, we didn't talk much at all. And as time passed, that tension just kept building up. I would go to my friend's house and just public places where I can practice because I didn't have money to go to a studio. Odeus would film these performances on a low-grade digital camera. She'd then attach them to an email and send them to the big talent companies in Korea. She never got a reply, but she did figure out what you really need to do is go to a big public audition. I went to Seoul to visit my grandparents. I was around 14 and there was a huge audition going on for one of the big companies in Korea. I acted out a scene from the drama You're My Destiny. It is a really, it's, it's a pretty um, old Korean drama. But I got stopped halfway because they told me that they were looking for singers and dancers instead. So he asked me if I could dance. And so he had this lady play me a classic dance song that everybody knew. It was Florida Low. I just freestyled a little bit and and that was it. He told me to come to him and he gave me a, li- a little pass and ushered me to a separate room. In that room, they basically took pictures of my face in di- from different angles. They told me to walk down a line, look at the camera in different angles. And then a few days later, I got a call back to sign the contract. So yeah, I was very, very, very happy. It was like, um, you know, having that wonderful feeling of like, you know, stepping closer to your dream. People are often discovered as potential K-pop stars as young as 9, 10, 11, 12. They're signed to long-term development contracts where they're essentially going to a second school after school. They're being trained in all the different things you need to actually learn to be a K-pop icon, to be a star. They may actually be asked to move out of their family residences and into dormitories where they'll live alongside their prospective bandmates and they'll be given essentially 24-7 exposure to the kind of culture that they need to actually be a part of as prospective stars in this system. That's Jeff Yang, a contributor to CNN, author of the forthcoming book Rise, a pop history of Asian America from the 90s to now. He also co-hosts a podcast named They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered look at what's happening in Asian America. There were three different types of contract that was offered to me. There was a two-year contract, a seven-year contract, and a 12-year contract. And my mom was very, very reluctant. I thought, as a parent, 
She was way too young to be making any big decision on her own. I told my mom, this is what I want to do. If you don't let me do it, I will run away. She knew how stubborn I was because she's also really stubborn. So she sent me over reluctantly. She signed the shortest contract, which was a two-year contract. I had a couple of days to say goodbye to people, but then I had to pack my bag straight away and go. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Once you're there, once you're in Korea, you start training immediately. We wake up at 5 a.m., get in some practice, and we go straight to school. School lasts all the way until 1 p.m., and right after that, you come back to practice. We had to learn popping, we had to learn how to pop and lock, hip-hop, break dance, and that kind of lasts all the way through until 8, 9 p.m. And then after that, it is break time. So we continue practicing all the way until 11 p.m., sometimes all the way until 1 a.m. in the morning, and then go to sleep, and it starts again. You have to show them that you really want it. That's the idea of it. It was, it was exciting. I'm Dara Greenwood. I'm an associate professor of psychological science at Vassar College in New York. When it comes to thinking about why people are interested in fame, there are kind of big picture, almost evolutionary explanations. We have a need to be seen and heard. And when we're infants, this is actually a matter of life and death. If somebody doesn't see you and hear you when you're an infant, you don't survive. And as we grow up, I think these needs become a bit more symbolic and social and emotional. Although arguably the status and the wealth that go along with being very famous can confer concrete life advantages and health advantages. I think it's easy for people to say this is like the me generation and it's all about narcissism. But really what they're doing is they're adapting to their own cultural circumstances. It is systematized. It is not unlike boot camp in a way where K-pop stars are drafted and if they choose to actually participate, they choose to actually sign on the dotted line, or if their parents choose to, then they're going to be expected to learn the ropes of doing this stuff in a regimented and rigorous and challenging and actually, you know, exhausting and stressful fashion on the hope that they will be able to turn into stars sometime down the road. It was very strict. We were not allowed to use phones, no emails. You can't say hi to the boys. No dating. Dating dating was not a thing. It's a distraction to your training, and they only want you to focus on one thing. You have managers as well to keep tabs on you. So let's say if I want to call my dad, if I want to call my mom, you have to get permission, and your parents are not allowed to come visit you as well. We had personal trainers to make sure you um, have the right physique. So they will have body analysis every week. So they will measure your body, the, the width of your arm, your bust, your waist, your hip, your, even your calf. They have to make sure that your legs are completely proportional. So they would have a step up onto the weighing machine, the weighing scale. And 
they would measure our weight, compare it to the week before. They would announce it to the whole class, your previous weight and your current weight, just to show the class that, you know, this is the example of a good weight and a bad weight. And if you lost weight, then, you know, people would praise you, wow. Right before they weigh you, I've seen people go to the, the toilet just to, like, spit out their saliva, like, in hopes that they will lose more weight. There is a very high pressure on young girls and women to be attending to their physical appearance and to be valued for their physical appearance, which is not to say that men do not have a lot of the same anxieties, uh, but they're not typically at the same level and they're not typically as ubiquitous. It makes you feel bad, but according to the instructors, when they do that, they, they tell us that it's not supposed to make you feel bad. It's supposed to make you want to challenge yourself to lose more weight. Being such a small person, when I gain weight, it's very obvious. So I was constantly told that I was like fat. My calves were too big, my thighs were too big. They were too big for my size. So they're not too big if they're on someone else. But on me, it's considered big because I'm really small. They would tell me, you know, oh, if you're hungry, you should just eat ice because, you know, that way you don't get fat. So it made me think that I was really, really fat because when you lose weight, you get praised. And as a trainee, as a young, ambitious, little aspiring K-pop idol, that's what you want to hear. I was on a stream of constant yo-yo dieting. I would binge and starve and binge and starve just to lose weight. There are incredible emotional consequences to yo-yoing your blood sugar and your kind of neurochemical balance. And there's a, there's a real destructive outcome of all of that. And so the extent to which yourself is going to feel like it's hanging in the balance, it quite literally is, you know, in terms of your mood and in terms of how well you're able to regulate your own emotions, those things are all going to be compromised if you're not eating enough. One of the days when I was doing dance practice, I passed up twice. People don't get shocked when somebody faints. It's very, very common to see someone faint during practice. So if we see someone faint, we would just carry them back to the room to rest. And it's not seen as a bad thing when you faint. It's actually seen as a good thing because it's like, wow, she wants it that badly. She's willing to go through all that because she wants to be a star. Your K-pop star, that your K-pop idol is supposed to be perfect from the beginning. It's perhaps the idea of being perfect no matter who you are, no matter what you're going through. At least when you're on stage, when you're a K-pop idol, you need to be perfect. And those pressures can certainly get to someone, I would think. And especially as they're experiencing that pressure when they're so young, because essentially they're being scouted from a very young age. They're 12, 13, 14, and they're being groomed. I think one of the things that you see with K-pop is that the influence from Western pop culture has been almost brought to a science, right? Uh, in the sense that boy bands and girl bands of the past coming out of uh, Western cultures have always had a certain kind of formula or template. Every band member represents a certain thing. They are the cute one. They are the sexy one. They're the bad boy, right? They have a different role within the actual group. So those things have always existed in Western pop music, but when you actually take that and unpack it and then repack it, what you get is, in K-pop, a formalization of a lot of that influence. 
It depends on how many members there are in a group, but usually there is a leader and the leader is usually um, the oldest or the lead vocalist, so the person who gets the most singing lines. And then there's the main dancer. There is the makne, which is the youngest. And there would also be the visual. The visual is basically the center of the group, the face of the group, you could call it that. The person who basically has the face that appeals the most to the masses. I was chosen to be the lead vocalist. And I was actually competing with this other girl for the role of the visual. She got chosen to be the visual first. They were just taking a look at the finalization of all the members. So they had us stand in, you know, like a straight line and they look at us just to see the feeling of the overall group. And so they were comparing me with the other girl. And she was naturally a lot prettier than me. She fit into the Korean standard of beauty a lot more than I did. They figured that if I undergo certain procedures on my nose and my jaw, that I would be prettier than her and I would then be the role of the visual. When she said she didn't mind getting plastic surgery, I was shocked at first. Not because of plastic surgery, because if she told me that she wanted it now, she's an adult now and it's her decision. But as a child, I didn't think she would be able to make that sort of decision on her own without it being influenced by other people. I actually thought I, I, I was fine with it because um, I saw it more of a as an investment. So I was ready for it until they told me that I had to have a different persona. I was given a stage name. Um, it's called Tia. They wanted me to emulate this sweet, reserved, this cool goddess vibe. It's someone that doesn't have a lot of opinions. So you just, literally, you, you are not allowed to say anything bad. You have to have this squeaky clean image, this, this squeaky clean, sweet image that appeals to everyone. And they would force you to talk like that. They would train you to talk like that, to act like that, and to think like that character until eventually, you know, it becomes you. You can imagine that if a young girl is looking for approval and looking to be admired and looking to be noticed, that one of the very obvious and concrete ways she can do this is by becoming this idealized, um, uh, beautiful person in whatever way, whether it's filters, whether it's a dissatisfaction that leads to cosmetic surgery. One of the things that happens when we are consuming a lot of idealized images, the gap between who we are and who we want to be can grow and it can seem difficult to cross. And so something like cosmetic surgery is in some ways, it's, it's a maladaptive solution, but it is an attempt at a solution to kind of close that gap and to move our actual self closer to this ideal. And of course, the ideal itself is, is artificial, right? Because even the celebrities whose job it is to look beautiful have all kinds of artificial means of looking beautiful. So it's sort of chasing a cloud. When I first signed up for this, all I knew was that they might change my physical appearance, but changing my personality was never in it. They would ask you to do lots of things. They make you clean their coffee tables, their coffee cups. They make you buy food for them, run errands for them, clean the toilets, scrub the floors, not with sponges, with toothbrushes. That's something that they make you do to, I guess, I don't know if it's manipulating, but it's just forcing you to listen to them. 
submit to them. So if you do whatever they want, they will give you what you want. And they would actually tell you that if you do this, if you make us happy, we will give you a spot. They train you. They train everything to emulate this character until this persona eventually becomes your personality, your real personality. So you start to lose yourself to become this character. This feeling that I was having, you know, this anxiety and all that, I didn't know it was anxiety. I just thought that was how it's supposed to be. Like, I just thought this was a new kind of feeling that you are supposed to feel when you are undergoing these kind of training. I would just be telling myself, this is what you need to go through if you want to do this. So I just have to endure. Moving on to a more somber news now. Behind the glitz, glamour and seemingly endless well of positivity and energy lies a darker side of stardom. Many celebrities suffer from depression and that may have been the cause of the latest passing of a young K-pop superstar. The singer of Korean boy band Shiny committed suicide on Monday at an apartment in the South Korean capital. In his suicide note, John Yoon wrote, maybe I wasn't supposed to be known to the world. I have learned that that's what makes my life difficult. How come I chose that? Singer and actress Holly, a former member of the K-pop girl band FX, was found dead Monday afternoon. Holly had been harassed by malicious online comments throughout her career and had openly spoke about her experiences on cyberbullying. Police said in a statement that the 25-year-old had been suffering from severe depression and how for now they suspect she may have taken her own life. K-pop star Kuara was found dead last night at her home in Seoul. This shocking incident comes less than two months after the death of her friend and fellow K-pop star Holly. An investigation is currently underway. You know, the music industry, no matter what country you're in, is really, really difficult. Just this year uh, in America, we lost Chris Cornell and Linkin Park's Chester Bennington to very similar uh, situations. I think it's really tough to be a person in South Korea, period. Uh, it's a very high-pressure society. I think it's a truism that mental health in general is something that in many Asian cultures is not spoken enough about. Uh, and emotional distress and the impacts of stress, all these things end up being kind of invisible in Asian cultures where a lot of times they're seen as weakness. People, people hide the fact that they're struggling or that they're vulnerable because the expectation is that you need to be perfect or at least presentable in every circumstance. And I've seen that in my own personal experience, in my own family. People just refuse to talk about how much they're struggling because the expectation is that they will be perceived as lesser people simply for showing any kind of vulnerability. Uh, and I think that's a cultural conversation that we have to deal with. At the end of the two years, I didn't know myself that well. I, I felt really trapped. I was willing to change myself on the outside, but not on the inside because... To me, the outer appearance is nothing. To me, that is just a shell. You have to look good. You have to look the part if you want to be a K-pop idol. But you don't necessarily have to change your personality because not everyone has an image. The company chooses who to change. Some people get to keep their original personalities. So I've never thought about quitting until the last, the very last moment. At first, I accepted Tia. Like she was like a character that I had to emulate, but. It just got to the point where I just, I couldn't handle it. 
I was I was frustrated. I was angry. I was sad. And w when they asked me if I wanted to renew my contract, I was just thinking like, like I I've worked so hard, you know, like. I weighed up the pros and the cons, and it just, it had more cons to me. Because, it's weird to say this, because I was really young back then, but I really valued my own happiness over everything else. To not be able to speak my mind is, I cannot imagine doing that for the rest of my life. The idea that Yodias came up against a kind of wall, a kind of a breaking point where she was willing to go through so many hoops and so much training with the idea that she was cultivating some part of herself in a real way, that she had talent, that she had pizzazz, that she had a certain look, that she had real pieces of herself that were going to get her where she wanted to go. And it seems like in, in a very lucky way, in a very healthy way, um, she realized that she was going to have to give up too much. When I left, I stepped out of the doors of the company and I just felt like happy. I felt liberated. I went back to being me again. I could feel myself coming through. So many of our own experiences of admiring celebrities and feeling connected to certain celebrities and feeling a real strong emotional bond to the people that we see who are in the spotlight. And I think there's some imagining of like, wow, wouldn't it feel good to have that coming at me? But anecdotally, if you hear celebrities talk about fame, there are a lot of cautionary notes. People like Josh Radner have given many talks on the, the perils of fame. He initially thought that sort of fame would save him and would allow him to shed all of his insecurities and finally feel important and valued. And he said he was very struck by the fact that it was actually the opposite, that it made him more aware of his insecurities and that it, that it wasn't him people were seeing, right? It was his face and they were assuming they knew him, but they didn't know him. And so it was actually quite alienating and depressing to become suddenly famous. I think Hugh Grant mentioned that you get so much adulation coming at you from the outside, you stop being able to produce it naturally on the inside, that you sort of lose your capacity to regulate your own esteem. And, uh, you know, it goes on and on, people talking about the illusion that they were chasing and how not true it ends up being at the end of the day. Um, I'm not entirely sure that has trickled down in as profound a way as it might. This isn't just about an industry. And it's not even just about a single culture. It's really about the way that we think about womanhood and femininity and fetishize in such a way that only a certain kind of presentation is acceptable. And as soon as somebody's a little beyond the maximum acceptable weight over the maximum acceptable age, then the hammer falls. And it, it's uh, a terrifying, terrifying thing. The idea that she was going to have to adopt a persona that felt so far removed from her actual exuberant self, that felt too aversive and that felt sort of not worth the price of admission. It seems like the odds were so stacked against her. So again, uh, pretty amazing that she had the presence of self and mind to, to walk away.
when I went back to the UK, I was allowed to do things. I was allowed to talk to boys. I was allowed to go out with friends. I went to France. I enrolled in a school in Paris. Um, I studied fashion design for two years, and it was an amazing experience. I met lots of different people who were just beautiful and inspiring and kind, and it opened up my eyes and my mind to a lot of different things. My world was so small as a kid, you know, all I could think of was, like, that was my first dream. Like, all I could think of was wanting to be this idol because that was the only life, I thought that was the best life that I could have. There are so many different lives. And as a mom, of course, I'm happy for my daughter. I'm proud of her no matter what, because she is my daughter. If that life was what she really wanted, I would have supported her eventually. But I knew it wasn't for her. I just knew it. It's my gut feeling. You know, what we think we're getting from our behaviors and our media consumption is not always what we are getting. So to kind of bring home to people the, the perils of celebrity or the, the kind of darker side of celebrity might be one way to sort of dismantling the myth of celebrity. There's this very special feeling um, and wonderful feeling about doing things because you want to. Having to define yourself uh, on your own terms, the, the ability to control your own life, it just, it felt right to me. Fortunately, there are, I think, some waves of change that are occurring. The government's laying out different kinds of guidelines, putting in more protections for especially younger people who are entering the industry. Some of the practices that have been seen as, I think rightly so, exploitative or, or dangerous, especially for people entering at a very young age, they're being reined in. And I think the actual industry itself, simply because it's becoming a global force, is having its own reckoning. If I choose to continue to be Tia, I would not have the mentality and the growth that I have right now. I would still be a 22-year-old but I will be a 22-year-old who would still constantly be thinking that she's fat and still constantly be yo-yo dieting and doing lots of cardio and wishing for slimmer calves. Yo Dears parted on good terms with the company she was training with. And she went on to launch her own YouTube channel, where she's free to be herself to hundreds of thousands of followers. Everybody is, has the opportunity now to present themselves in a very idealized way and to kind of curate their own identities and their own images, right? To Photoshop their own images. And my students have commented and, and others have noticed as well that not only do you begin to compare yourself to your peers in this very explicit way, but you begin to compare yourself to your own identity online and to your own potentially edited photos and maybe creating a standard for yourself that's also unrealistic. Fame ultimately kind of empties out your sense of self because you're constantly responding to this external environment that's so powerful. Perhaps the best way to leave this story is in the hands of BTS, a group that have helped and inspired so many fans and who were even invited to speak at the United Nations where they launched a campaign called Love Myself with UNICEF. Thank you, Mr. Secretary General. My name is Kim Namjoon, also known as RM, the leader of the group BTS. It is an incredible honor to be invited to an occasion with such significance for today's young generation. Last November, BTS launched the Love Myself campaign with UNICEF, building on our belief that true love first begins with loving myself. No matter who you are, where you're from, 
your skin color, your gender identity. Just speak yourself. Thank you very much. If you or someone you know is currently struggling with an eating disorder or anxiety, please visit our show notes on the platform you're listening to to seek professional help. The Comeback is brought to you by Imperative Entertainment and is created, written, and edited by Giles Andrew and Elliot Watson of Honora Productions. Executive producers are Sylvester Stallone and Braden Aftergood of Balboa Productions, Jason Hoke of Imperative Entertainment, and Trevor Groth of 30 West. The Comeback is produced by Honora Productions and Balboa Productions in association with 30 West. Original music for the series composed by Dan Powell. Sound design and sound mixing also by Dan Powell. Poster design and graphics by Dana Kim and Ricardo Imperial. Special thanks to Yo Dears, Yo Dears' mum, Yamina Ko, Dara Greenwood and Jeff Yang. Additional thanks to Ryan Abushi, Dawn Bushwell, Alex Witherill, Charles Denton and Katie Selton. Key art photography of Sylvester Stallone by Michael Putman. Narration engineered by Skylar Kilborn. Please subscribe, download and share and follow us on social media for extra content and updates. Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Do we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.